Swinging a fly ball, left field. It's deep. Going back is Duncan at the fence. Oh, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State. Stafford takes the snap. Sets in the pocket. Rolls left. This is going to be it. Kovac to fire for it. He went for it all. Rises, goes for three. It's through. Got turned to Malkin over the Detroit line, pushes it forward, back in, but oh, I'm gonna say! Welcome again to the Detroit Sports Show here on, uh, you can find us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud. You can also check out our new uh, Tumblr page, which I'll let uh, our co-host Andrew Tomlinson tell you a little bit about here. And we're on Facebook as well. At the Detroit Sports Show, uh, the Twitter account is at the Detroit Show. I'm your host this week, Chris Burke. You can get me at Chris Burke underscore SI. I mentioned Andrew is in at Drew underscore Tomlinson. Uh, All Star Break. We're recording on uh, Wednesday the 13th, the uh, annually the slowest sports day of the year, with uh, the day after the All Star Game in baseball and sort of a dead period for football and uh, free agencies run it, its course mostly in in hockey and basketball, uh, and Copa America, Euros just wrapped up, Olympics don't start for another month, so we uh pretty quiet in general, but we're going to hit a couple things. We talked last week, promised that we'd talk a little more Red Wings free agency, and uh, they re-signed Timu Palkin in a few hours ago, restricted free agents, still have a couple of restricted free agents to get under contract, assume that gets done at some point, but we'll revisit what they did in free agency, and then uh, swing over... Uh, not going to talk a ton about the Tigers as they're off until Friday, but did want to hit on Anthony Ghost, who uh, had a little uh, dust-up in the dugout with Toledo manager Lloyd McClendon, got sent home from a doubleheader, suspended by the organization for three days, and now demoted to double-A. So uh, we'll kind of hash out what that all means. But before we go any further, welcome in Andrew here. And like I said, uh, Andrew, if you want to just sort of give everyone a primer on uh the Tumblr page and where they can find the old episodes. Yeah, so we're really excited about it. We've been in SoundCloud and on Facebook and Twitter, but we really wanted to have one place where people can go through the show. So right now it's just the reposting of what we're doing with some show notes. I think last week started to do a little bit of a link dump on some of the stuff that we talk about if it's not newsworthy. So we're going to try to add that in there. So it's the Detroit Sports Show uh, it's got all of the episodes in there with the embedded SoundCloud as well as the iTunes subscription and the Stitcher subscription links. One thing I am pretty excited about is on the top of the page or in the middle of the page if you're looking at it on mobile, there's a what do you want to hear on the show link. So if you click that, it's going to be an opportunity for you to, distri- uh, to discuss and then let us know if there are specific topics you want us to touch on, guests that you want us to bring on, or just areas you want us to move the show into, we'd love to get your feedback and we'd love to be able to know what's working, what doesn't. And then that way we can work to make it a better show. Definitely excited about that. And maybe also in time that Tumblr page might give us a space to sort of bring back some of the content we had on uh, the Detroit sports site too. Uh, If Andrew and I ever are uh, motivated or (laughs) so inclined to write something up there, maybe if we don't have a podcast that week or for a few days, might be able to find some of that content there too. So uh, yeah, we're excited to have that. Hope you guys go check it out. Like Andrew said, we appreciate any feedback uh, you can give us, and thanks to everyone who's listened so far. Uh, before we go any further, let's get into, uh, as promised, the Red Wings. And we touched on them a little bit 
last week. I talked more last week about the Lions. Calvin Johnson did a little bit of Tigers and Pistons, but uh, just sort of briefly got into the Red Wings and the fallout of free agency. And uh, an interesting free agency period, to say the least, started more or less with the draft and things seemed to be looking up. The Red Wings were able to dump Pavel Datsuk's contract to Arizona, uh, even picked up uh, an extra draft pick and uh, had some space, but didn't necessarily pan out the way they hoped. Aaron Helm resigned, brought in uh, Thomas Vanek, Franz Nielsen, and then <laughs> everyone's favorite, Steve Ott, which I'm sure we'll get into momentarily. I mentioned they just resigned. Uh, Timo Palkin is sort of working through their restrictive free agents. So lots of forwards, not a lot of defensemen, and a, a bunch of up-and-coming prospects that might get boxed out again next season. So we'll start there. And, Andrew, I guess just, as I mentioned, we kind of touched on this last week, but just you know, now that we're two weeks out from free agency, your impressions of where the Red Wings are. You know, it's it's tough. I think I was we talked about it last week. Everyone could tell I was a little fired up. Still definitely frustrated on where the direction of the organization is going. I think even more so after the Polkanen re-signing with the idea that he's going to be out for six months with the shoulder injury. You know, I thought that, you know, we could potentially start to see the roster crunch lift a little bit if he were to not get a contract, go back to Finland or something like that. But, you know, I, I think you you hit on the lack of defenseman I think that's the that was the biggest need for the team last year and we keep hearing that they might make a trade for a number one defenseman and everyone keeps hearing Cam Fowler's name we heard you know Kevin Allen from USA Today talk about Cam Fowler and what the cost of that might be but looking at the numbers Cam Fowler doesn't really stack up as a top pairing defenseman I mean they need a number one I think that's that's the problem I think you know the forward moves the Nielsen move I've sort of cooled a little bit more on they needed a, a center. He was the best available center. I mean, what are you really going to do with that? But the other moves make just no sense to me. The Steve Ott, I know that they want big guys out there, but Steve Ott can't add anything other than being a big knuckle-dragging fighter. So I don't, I don't understand, at least for me, the direction of what they're going in because now there are guys like Ferk that definitely aren't going to get a contract because there's just no space for them. Mitch Callahan, who I think will probably get claimed. I mean, I would, I don't know. I just feel like we're have a bunch of, we're, we're seeing the team bring in nothing but a bunch of third and fourth liners for a team that needed top six guys. Well, yeah, I mean, and you've mentioned Ferk a couple of times. I think even beyond that, I don't necessarily even see a spot for Anthony Manta. At the no, moment. I don't either. Uh, and pos I mean, I am, I'm sort of operating on the under the hopeful assumption that Andreas Athanasiu is locked into this roster, but it hasn't sounded like that. You know, Ken Holland talked about these young guys needing to go to camp and and prove that they deserve a, a spot on the permanent roster, and so it sounds like he's among that group that has something to prove. I mean, I, I'm not sure you can justify moving him out and and keeping one of these other guys. And the, the Ott contract, I guess. The one pro of it is that it's extremely cheap. So if for whatever reason they decide to cut bait and go with uh, other guys, you, you can do that and not take on much penalty. But, yeah, I mean, Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, that viral uh, goal he scored in camp as another guy, is is sort of in that mold of the 33rd, 4th line guy. He's been extremely productive in the playoffs. 
someone else that now probably is on the outside looking in. And uh, I mean, I guess the other thing is, as we've talked about, there aren't a lot of, there weren't a ton of top six forwards to be had. And the, the wings lost out on those guys that were there pretty quickly. I do like the Nielsen contract. I don't like it in combination with the Darren Helm contract because I don't think you need both those guys uh, from a roster standpoint. Um, and the other thing is, it's hard to find a trade, you know, find a reasonable trade when everyone knows how desperate you are to make a trade. You know, they're at a spot now where they have, with Palkin and assuming, I mean, he's another guy, I guess, that looks like maybe he starts the season on IR, but even without him, you know, you're talking about 15, 16, 17 forwards for 13, 14 spots, and... And if you don't trade some of these guys, you either have to bury them or risk losing them on waivers. So for as much as it felt like the Wings, you know, felt like Ken Holland pulled one off and getting rid of the Datsu contract, he's kind of set up to get uh, ripped off a bit here to, to really get back into a corner. And if they don't make a move, that's probably, I mean, you'd almost rather see them just dump a guy and get anything back than risk losing a couple of these guys or risk... <laughs> I mean, the thought of Athanasiu and or Mantha being in Grand Rapids for half the season again is absurd given the 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 problems this team had scoring last year. I mean, let's just flat out say it, due to the lack of talent. I mean, there just isn't a lot of top-line talent. So to put two guys that might have it down in the minors is infuriating, and we've seen them do it. They did it with Nyquist. We thought he was a lock to make the roster. We saw them do it with Ouellette, who I think they've now stunted his growth, in all honesty, as a player. Babcock wanted him and thought he was ready, and now he's not even in the top probably three prospects, it seems. I mean, if there's anybody that I would target and moving, it would be Nyquist because he's got the no trade coming. But, I mean, you mentioned it. Teams know that the Wings need a defenseman, and more importantly, they know that they need a quarterback power play or a, a power play quarterback, basically, because they don't have one. And without Polkin, they have no shot from the point. So I think... The, I think the most, and this really just hit me now, the most infuriating part of this all was that if the Wings were going to move the Datsuk money, we thought for sure Stamkos was done. So how on earth you hadn't met with Stamkos before moving, or as soon as you moved the money, I don't know. But the fact that they then passed up on a defenseman that by all accounts was going to be a top-pairing guy is infuriating because now you don't really have a number one in the system you don't have one on the roster, and you didn't get the surprise free agent. So, I mean, they've really put themselves in a pickle, and I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. I really wish, in all honesty, I wish they would have signed an offer sheet. If there was ever a team that could be willing to give up four first-round picks for a top defenseman like a Truba or something like that, it was the Wings. They don't, you know, they've, they've consistently drafted well in the lower rounds. So if you need a number well, one, pay the price. Yeah, I mean, and I get that, but at the same time, part of the reason they don't have talent right now is because they weren't picking in round one, or they were picking at 29. Sure. So there's, some, I mean, there's certainly something to be said for having those round one picks. And we saw Dylan Larkin fly through the system and and get into the, and that's not going to happen on a regular basis. They're certainly not expecting that from this year's class. But you need those picks, and you need those top round guys more more often than not. I mean. I can almost, 
I've sort of scattered on my thoughts here because it's hard to really pin down, as I've said before, it's hard to really pin down exactly what the picture is here other than just trying to patch holes around Henrik Zetterberg until Henrik Zetterberg retires. But I I don't think they, in their current situation, can deal Nyquist unless it's a top two defenseman coming back. Because I think right now, as things stand, Nyquist is locked into a top six forward spot and might even be your your top line winger with Larkin and Zetterberg. And he's a guy that's going to have to score 20, 25 goals for this offense to do anything next year. And then to your other point, I think Ken Holland would argue that their power play, that the guy that they want captaining that power play is Mike Green. And I can almost guarantee you Thomas Vanek is on that first team power play up playing that second forward role, second defenseman slash forward hybrid role up top as your sniper with Zetterberg, Larkin, and then someone in front of the net, you know, Abdelkader, uh, one of the big bodies in front of the net. I can almost guarantee you that's the first five up. Zetterberg, Abdelkader, Larkin, Vanek, and Green. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, if Cromwell could ever get his shot back too, you'd have two solid defenseman off the blue line. I think the thing, and you mentioned Vanek, the thing that's so frustrating, in my opinion, of all the moves, is I love the Thomas Vanek move. It was cheap. It's a one-year show-me kind of contract. If it works out, maybe you sign him mid-season. If it doesn't, then he goes away. But he's a guy that's had significant talent. It's a guy that's scored in the past. And it just seems like a guy that is, hasn't been able to feel comfortable in wherever he's gone. He went from you know a terrible Buffalo team to a terrible Islanders team to a wild team that really didn't he didn't fit in on. And so I, I'm really, he reminds me a little bit of what happened to Marion Gavrick as he, when he bounced around after the wild. So I'm actually very, very excited for Vanek. And that's what I think is so frustrating is Ken Holland makes these great deals, the Dotsuk deal, the Vanek deal, and then just for some reason sandwiches him around Darren Helm and Steve Ott. Yeah, I mean, Vanek had by all accounts, a, a, a bad season last year and still put up 18 goals and 43, 45 points. Yeah, he'd be like third on the wings. Both, right, and goal scoring would have been right up there at the top list too. So if that's a down season, again, that's, you're talking about 20, 25 goals there, ideally maybe more if he really settles in and the offense, especially the power play, can do anything. Again, I just don't see the overall picture. I don't see where they've gotten better. I mean, Vanek maybe makes you better from that goal scoring prowess, but you're taking Datsuk off the power play, and that's your you know your guy that mostly set up the power play most of the time, either him or Zetterberg. Um, I like Nielsen. I think Nielsen can be very good on that second power play. He certainly was productive as a passer. Uh, in New York, and I think that they're counting on him to sort of distribute. But again, they have all these guys that can distribute, and who's going to score goals? I think that's why you're putting a ton of pressure on Thomas Vanek to do it. I think that's why we'd like to see. That's why you'd like to see. That's why I like them keeping Pulkin in. Hopefully, he can get back in the lineup because I think he is that. You know, the dream is that he becomes that guy that scores on a regular basis with that slap shot. You know, you're hoping. We saw glimpses that maybe Mantha could be one of those guys. I think they still maybe hope that he can do that. So it's just a, I just don't – I'm trying to figure out where in the transition process they are, I guess, from the sort of end of the – you know, the, the end of kind of that dynasty was in the early 2000s, and then they came back and they, 
you know, had the back-to-back trips to the cup finals, still a very good team, obviously every year. And then they started to, you know, guys started to retire, Hosel left. And so they, they were forced to transition to being this younger team, building up from the, from the, from within the system and uh, playing some young guys. But I don't really get where they are right now. You know, is this, are, do the young guys that they have right now, are they really the players that they're counting on to carry them through the next five, ten years? Or are they just buying time until they can land a couple big-name free agents or they trade up somehow in the drafts in the next couple of years and get a couple guys that can go play immediately and join Larkin in that regard? I, I, it's hard to really see where they are other than, you know, if you stack up this roster with the rest of the conference – looks pretty similar to where they've been the last couple of years, which is kind of a fringe playoff team that doesn't really have a chance against the best teams in the playoffs. Yeah, and I feel like if you look back towards sort of the eras of the Wings, right, you had the kind of the hockey town era in the late 90s, and then you moved into a little bit of a transition period into the Euro Twins era. You kind of had the, the Hall of Fame era, which was that 2001-2002 cup. But then you went to the Euro Twins era for a little while, and now I don't know how to define Find what this era is at this point. I mean, I think you're right. They don't know where they are. I mean, the, the good news, you know, I don't want to be so negative, is that the Atlantic Division made just wildly head scratching moves all throughout for agency. So I don't think the division got all that much better. But you're right. I don't, they never, they talked about getting bigger and then didn't add any size. And they talked about, and it's Steve Ott. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I was going to – that's what I was getting to is that, you know, they, you mentioned Hosa, and everyone has always killed Detroit for not signing Hosa. But if you look back and you think about it, if they really signed – if Franzen had not suffered, which I think he'd been suffering for years during his down, decline as a player, those massive head injuries, that probably isn't that bad of a trade-off, and they've never replaced Johan Franzen, ever. And that's the kind of player they needed. And if they're hoping Mantha's going to do it, then you've got to figure out how to have a place on the roster for him. So we, you know, we talked at length, thinking that they were going to beef up, gear up, go into the new arena with a solid team. But at this point, there are no real expiring contracts coming off the books next year outside of, you know, Vanek and Ott and these little deals. So it's not as if they're suddenly going to have a bunch of cap space to work with to suddenly improve the team. So I, they feel like the Leafs, in my opinion, in all honesty. They feel like a team that just signs for agents because they need them, and then you're kind of meddling in mediocre. That, I mean, that has been the Leafs' mantra for about a decade now, and it, it sort of feels like that's where they are with the Wings. I think some of this depends on how much we believe what we keep hearing from within the organization that these guys are, are progressing. I guess. I mean, I think that that's really the key here because if this is the team they're going to be, if they're going to be a team that, you know, they keep Zetterberg as long as they can keep Zetterberg and, you know, Cronwall's still there and, um, you know, they have these two or three, four guys that have been there for a long time and then you try to just bolster that with young guys and a couple free agent signings a year as they've done <clears throat> the last couple years now, then at some point, they need to be right about these young guys progressing. And we've only really seen it in glimpses. I mean, Athanasiu was great when he came up, gave him a spark, but he barely played in the playoffs. I mean, he was playing five minutes, six minutes a game. So was that because 
the coaching staff just doesn't trust the younger guys, didn't trust him, or does he really have deficiencies in his game that are going to be problematic if he's playing, you know, 14 minutes a game? Um, and I think it's the same thing on the blue line. They're looking at going into this year, barring a trade, which I, I'm assuming, and I said this before too, I think the trade ends up being a couple of these depth guys for a depth defenseman just to sort of even out the roster. And then you're losing one or two of your young defensemen, but still a pretty young core there. I mean, I think they they need big leaps, not just like baby steps forward from these guys. You know, you don't just need Nyquist to go from being uh, an okay player to to sort of pitching in from time to time. As you said, they need someone that's kind of Johan Franzen like. That's you think maybe will score every time he's on the ice, no matter. How good or bad he's going at the time, and they don't really have a lot of those guys. So when's the progression happening? You know, I think you can argue that Danny Kaiser has gotten better since he's been on the wings, but he certainly hasn't. He's not a. They're looking for a number one, number two defenseman because he hasn't become a number one or number two defenseman. I mean, Nyquist Tatar kind of plateaued last year. Shayan, I don't. I mean, I guess in small increments has gotten better, but again, he hasn't necessarily made that leap to the point where. I mean, that's why they signed Nielsen, I think. If Shahan was ready to be your second-line center, he would have been your second-line center, and he wasn't. So Brendan Smith kind of treading water, and maybe he gets better with more of an opportunity. But, again, it's just a bunch of guys that we keep hearing have these super high ceilings, you know, that can help you carry you into the playoffs and be not superstars, but certainly big-time complementary pieces. And it's not really happening. It hasn't really happened yet, and it's – yeah, a lot of the pieces are young, so you think, well, maybe it can, and the wings keep saying it's going to, but, you know, until it does, there's not a really obvious way forward here. Yeah, and to go back to what Kevin said when we had him on a couple of weeks ago, the rest of the league might not value the Red Wings' assets as much as the Red Wings do, and so I think that's the real question, right? We've been hearing from the Detroit media and from the Red Wings themselves that these guys have high ceilings, but I really haven't been hearing it that much from people outside of the Detroit area. So I think that's the real question. Do they have high ceilings or is that the bill of goods that the wings are sending? I mean, you mentioned Tatar and Nyquist. I mean, last year was supposed to be the year that they jumped from 20, 25 goal scores to 30, 35, 40 goal scores, guys that are moving into the elite scoring roles. Because right now, I mean, late in the third period, five minutes to go, you're double shifting somebody who's, Blashill putting up, I mean, Larkin, I, you know, it's before it was Dotsuk, right? Oh, you needed a goal, you put Dotsuk and Zetterberg out there, maybe some, maybe Abdicator, right? You knew it. But I don't know who we're doing that with now. And I think that's the problem. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. When you needed some, when they need a goal, you knew if you put somebody on the ice, they had a chance to do it. And they just don't, as I look at this team right now, I just don't see it. And Nielsen, I think, is a great player, but he's a two way center. And that's, that's what is. Specialty seems to be a defensive center with some offensive upside. And that just doesn't, it's just not what they need. I mean, unless you want to, they're going to turn into the, if they want to play like the New Jersey Devils, that's fine. I think they, have, that, they have the ability yeah. to do it. But that's and not that's the, the other frustrating thing. That's the other, I think, frustrating thing looking at them right now is that, and maybe this changes if a few of their young guys crack the roster, or like I said, Nyquist, Tatar sort of take those leaps. But right now, they're trending towards not being a very fun team to watch again. They're trending towards a lot of 2-1, 3-2 wins, you know, a lot of overtime games like we saw last year. Uh, very few 
nights where they explode for four, five, six goals. I mean, I, you're you're in for 82 games again of kind of tight checking and trying to keep the other team's shot totals down and uh, just not a very entertaining brand of hockey, quite frankly. And and that that is hard to watch, but it's also tough to do when you have the defensive core that they right. do because they don't have right now the defensemen to sort of carry that. I mean, you, if you're going to play that system, you need to be borderline elite along the blue line, and they're not even close. I mean, I think DeKaiser and Green, as things stand right now, are probably your top two defensemen. With And Green is not even that good defensively. And then, you know, you have the shell of Cronwall, whatever Jonathan Erickson is these days, Smith, Archenko, and he, one more of the yeah, one more of the year, probably. I mean, I think I think they can keep Jensen down for another year, right? So I think Jensen might be the one that's got the expiring deal. Okay, and maybe I'm thinking of Russo. I think you are. Um, I think Russo does have another. Okay, so Jensen. I mean, one of those young guys, or as I said, if they trade for a depth defenseman, but that's certainly not the type of defensive grouping you think is going to shut down games, and that's sort of what we saw in the Lightning series. You know, they would try to play these tight, low-scoring games, and it only worked for one win. I would argue it worked for two, maybe two and a half games. I mean, I think game five is sort of the best. We talked about this one a while ago, but game five is about as well as the Red Wings can play in their current form. They just couldn't score, which is goes back to the problem. But, uh, you know, they, they were... That that's about as well as you can expect them to play these these days, and I think that is part of the frustration here too. You've gone from a team that had in its heyday, you know, you had Iserman and Datsuk and Hull and Shanahan, and even a few years ago, you they still had Datsuk and Zetterberg mostly in their prime, and you had Lidstrom, and uh, you know, you had guys that could put the puck in the net and. It was more of an up-tempo brand of hockey and more of a fun brand of hockey, and now it's they just sort of slog through these games, and I think that that's part of the frustration too, and especially when they bring in someone like uh, Steve Ott. I mean, I think that's part of the part of the annoyance factor there, you know, because you're taking it's not just that you're taking a spot away from a young guy potentially and keeping Mantha in the minors or Bertuzzi or Ferk or whoever it might be in the minors. But you're also sort of committing to the style of play that Steve Ott might have to play if he's on the ice. Enjoy. And and that's not, I mean, that's a in the corners, you know, 20 shots a game type style. And that that's hard to maintain over the course of the year. It's hard to enjoy if you're watching it. And with their defense the way it is, I just don't know how successful they can be at it. Well, especially if they're going to play the system Blash wants to play. I mean, that's the thing, right? You could be good at it if you commit to it, but they don't want to play that way. So you end up seeing a lot of games where the other team spends a lot of time in the Red Wings zone and the Wings aren't in the other zone a lot. If you look at the Devils, the entire game is played between the two blue lines. If they want to commit to do that, then do it. But And that's what the personnel, I think they have to do it are, but they don't want to do it. I think the thing that I'll, I'm going to... I'm going to do the sandwich thing. And I'm going to do a good thing followed by a bad thing for Alan here. The good news is the one thing that we have been clamoring for for years is for this team to get better on the shootout. And not only did they get a second line center, they did. I mean, in all honesty, Nielsen is one of, has the best shootout percentage ever. So if they 
do play these games to go to shootout, at least they might score a goal this time instead of most of the games last year where they didn't score a goal. But I think the the negative I had is I well I'm really you're sad. really exciting people there. The the thing that's exactly what I'm talking about. The, the last thing that I'll say that frustrates me is we've talked about them needing to add a depth defenseman. And we've talked about them needing to add an offensive defenseman. And then I look at something like Justin Schultz, who signed a one year deal for one point four million dollars, and I just think, what are you doing? I mean he could be He's a low-risk, high-upside young guy that played with Brendan Smith at Wisconsin that could could have been the solid depth piece they needed that would have added some offense, that would have helped be a power play. And I just don't, you know, if you don't want to go with the kids, then get somebody real. Don't get some washed-up person that no one else wants for nothing. Go spend the money. And I that those are the deals that frustrate me because – we said it last week with somebody like the Eric Stahl deal. Holland just doesn't seem to see those moves anymore. The Vanek deal he saw, and maybe these guys don't want to come to the organization, but I, I thought the Schultz move was something that was low risk, high upside. I've left you so excited about the shoot, the potential of a shootout goal. No, I mean, I'm just trying to think of when the last time he, when you say he doesn't see those deals anymore, I mean, I... I think he's doing exactly what he's always done, except he doesn't have the top-end talent anymore. I mean, these are the types of moves he would make. Maybe, you know, trying to go after Suter, Parise, and trying to go after Stamkos, and even to some extent signing Nielsen probably doesn't happen necessarily, you know, four or five years ago. But I think this is the same approach in free agency, and I think that's sort of the troubling part for me because you can't approach this the same way. You're not a good team anymore. You know, you can't go out there and say, well, we need we need two, three parts. I think if they were go- – they obviously made a, a pitch somehow without meeting him uh, to Stamkos, and he was the guy that they wanted. You know, if, if that fell through, there should have been a much better plan B in place than there was, and, and it's – I don't. I mean, go sign Yuri Hoodler. Heck, you hate <laughs> you didn't want gonna, him either. But now you're. Instead, he was. Oh, I would take him back on this roster. At, at this point, he's going to get a cheap contract. I'd rather have him than Steve Ott. I mean, what they really are heading towards is the Illiches dropping a just entire bomb on this organization next year because there's no way they're going to walk into if they if they barely make the playoffs or miss. There's no way that he's going to. Well, that's what I said. I think they. But that was the other thing we brought up, and this, we'll we'll transition out of this for now. But that we brought up a couple weeks ago is that next off season is a huge one because they go into the new arena and they should have at least a little bit of money to play with. So if it doesn't go well, yeah, I think you're right. If it doesn't go well this year, I think it's a totally you know maybe this is the wipe the slate clean, and that's what people have been saying. Maybe missing the playoffs will be the best thing for the organization. Because it forces you to to change how you're doing things. Uh, so a couple months till the wings get into the preseason. Get excited! Yeah, get ready. Uh, Tigers back in action Friday with the Royals in town, uh, and uh, maybe some maybe a chance the Royals, the Twins, the White Sox, their first three out of the break while the Indians are on the road for a while. Maybe a chance to make up some ground in the Central uh, or the Wild Card race. We'll talk about them once they get. Back in action, some more games. But wanted to talk for a couple minutes here about Anthony Ghost, who, you know, came into the season looking like he would be 
the starting, you know, as the starting center, center fielder, the plan was to platoon him kind of out there with Cameron Maben. He was awful in the majors, got sent down to the minors, was hitting about 180 for Toledo. As I mentioned, had the blow up with the manager, Lloyd McClendon, got sent home, got demoted, got suspended. Uh, so now after three games, he'll suit up for double A Erie and certainly is trending in the wrong direction. So I guess we'll just cut to the chase here. Uh, does Anthony Ghost ever play a game for the Detroit Tigers again? No. So I'm, you know, thinking about this while you're introing it, do you remember there was the, I think it was the, he either scored the walk-off run or he had a walk-off single or something early in the season. And he did the post-game on, post, post-game on field interview. And every question they asked, they asked him, he answered with one or two words and just didn't seem like he cared to be there. I wonder if this has been a trend with Ghost of his personality. And everyone said he was such a highly touted prospect, but it did seem as if the Blue Jays dumped him for nothing. So, uh, granted, they've been destroyed in that trade because Devin Travis is playing in major leagues. But um, I don't think Ghost is ever going to play in the majors for the Tigers, at least ever again. I think the only reason they haven't released him is because this is a team so desperate for any outfield depth whatsoever that they can't really afford to release him. It's not a good sign when you start the year in the majors and end up in double-A in July. No, and I mean, I think I agree with you. And to your point, the depth point, they they just added uh, recently Alex Presley, who was with the Brewers most recently, I believe, and is everyone on from the Twins. He played a lot. He played with the Twins for several years. Um, but you know, is I guess sort of in the Anthony Ghost mold, is a uh, light hitting, speedy, left handed outfielder, and uh, I believe he's with Lakeland right now. But that you know. He's a 30-year-old guy in, in single A, and I think the odds are at this point that he plays with the Tigers before Anthony Ghost does, and, and possibly even this year. So I, it's I'm shocked they didn't I think terminate his contract. I really am. It's frustrating. Well, yeah, well, that too. But, I mean, again, it's just another disappointment in – and it's not all that dissimilar from the conversation we were just having about the Red Wings, but, you know, the – these guys that they keep guaranteeing are going to play huge roles sort of tanking. And thankfully for them, Cameron Maven got healthy and has, you know, grabbed the, grabbed the center fielder job by the collar playing against both lefties and righties and hitting 360. If that wouldn't happen, this would be a much bigger deal, I think up top. And I still think it is a big deal because it's part of why the Tigers are carrying three bench guys at the moment. Uh, they have very little speed. They don't have anything they can bring off the bench. We've seen, you know, Avilas and Romine in the outfield, which neither of them, frankly, should be playing out They're there. Horribly defensively out there. And so, right. And this is again, as we've, ta- you know, we keep kind of circling back on on talking points because they keep coming up. But the construction of this team overall is just not very good. You know, they just don't have any depth whatsoever. And that is a problem over 162 game season, but especially when you have guys who can't play defense and and guys who like Victor Martinez can't play in the field, and uh, you know, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of issues with this team, and this whole ghost situation kind of 
kind of brings uh, at least a handful of them to the forefront again. I never thought I would yearn for Ezekiel Carrera, but after watching that Blue Jays series, he played some pretty good baseball. Having a great season so far. I would, he would be a wonderful addition. I, you know, I, Do I think he would start in the outfield? No, but he'd be a wonderful rotational bench guy instead of having Mike Avilas play right field every second night. So... You're right. I mean, the team has, I mean, if I, you know, we're starting to get into the trade deadline season and people are starting to wonder if the Tigers are going to make moves. And when we get there as a preview, I will stump that they should not make a single large move at the deadline. They should make several small ones to get long-term bench and replacement level guys that they can use moving forward in both the minors and the majors, because that is, they do not have that. And unfortunately the bloom is fallen off the Jacoby Jones rose is he was pulled from a game for not hustling to first base. He's hitting about 220, I think, in AAA. Lloyd is really not selling himself well as a replacement manager as he's got two guys with discipline problems now, it seems like. So they need to pick up smaller pieces that can be with the team moving forward. And I think they can do that because you basically can get those guys for cash. I don't know why yeah. Winton Bernard isn't being moved further up the at this really point. Paint and exciting between between hyping Franz Nielsen for his shootout yeah. moves and, and and stumping for hey, but this team could be trading crazy. cash for bench guys. They could really better with with bench guys. Exciting people out there. I, I think it would make the team more exciting because you would have the guy that would come on or the pinch runner or the guy that could come in and you wouldn't look at the rotate the roster that day and say, "Great, I got to watch Avilas for nine innings." I. I do think those smaller moves is going to be more impactful in making the team better. One big move doesn't fix a lot of the problems. I, I fully believe that that is a positive move because they, they don't give up a lot of assets and it will make the team way better. I don't. I, yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't think they should be going all out at this trade deadline. I think if someone like one of the Tampa Bay starters is available for a reasonable price, maybe you go get him. Uh, again, as we talked about the rotation, if everyone's healthy, I think they are not in terrible shape in the rotation, assuming Jordan Zimmerman's not Anibal Sanchez part two for the rest of the season. Um, you know, I, I think, I mean, the rotation's not in terrible shape. The bullpen's kind of shaped up. If they, I mean, Mark Lowe should be off the roster, but... <laughs> yeah, but he replaces least, Bruce Rondon, who we didn't think they'd have. I mean, that's a positive. I would say that's an okay right. move. No, the, I think the back end of the bullpen, Rondon gave up a home run to tie up the game in Toronto that they eventually won. But Rondon, Justin Wilson, uh, Shane Green, K-Rod's been pretty good most of the time. Uh, Alex Wilson's been been a little disappointing. But, yeah, and Sanchez has been good. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not not saying you're wrong by your argument. I mean, I think that they could go get a couple cheap bench guys who just step in and help even – I guess long-term would be ideal, but even just to get a couple guys who help you out for the rest of this year, someone that can play a few positions even, maybe a better version of Romine, I mean, I think there are some options out there that they that could be had that aren't, na- I mean, that aren't named Ryan Rayburn because he's probably an option with a one-year contract. And- Don't say that. But, I mean, someone like Kelly Johnson from Atlanta. A Ben Zobris type kind of guy. That's what they really need. Well, Ben Zobris is now an all-star. Not Ben (laughs) Zobris, but a Ben Ben Zobris-like kind of guy that can play five positions, handle the bat a little bit. Romine. Romine, (laughs) yeah. I'm sorry, I had to pick my jaw up off the floor because you made that that comparison. 
I don't know. No, I mean, I think, that I, I, I think on, that... the, on the team as a whole, I will say that before we get too far from that subject, because I, they've got to be able to handle their players better than they have. But it's a, they don't handle the roster like you're about to say, and they don't handle the the, the players that are on it. So. No, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think it speaks very poorly of Anthony Ghost, obviously, what's going on with him. I don't. I do think it speaks surprisingly poorly of Lloyd McClendon uh, that this is happening under his watch because. A lot of people thought he was being hired just in case they fired Brad Ausmus, and he's obviously got managerial experience in the majors, and it's been a rocky few weeks for him. So, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to – they're four out of the wild card. They just lost three or four to Toronto. They're six and a half back of the division. They've lost 11 to 12 to Cleveland. But it doesn't feel like they're out of it by any means. I mean, they're going to get J.D. Martinez back in a little bit. They should get Jordan Zimmerman, Daniel Norris back pretty soon. America, it's just there's not a lot of very good teams. They're certainly capable of making the playoffs with a couple tweaks to this roster, but you know, again, I, do we have the confidence? It's the same conversation. Do you have the confidence that they can go make those tweaks and not end up with uh, who was the pitcher they traded for? Jared Washburn. Oh, man, there's a list of them. I guess. <laughs> Jared, well, at least the Aubrey Huff trade made sense. But, yeah, Jared Washburn's a fine example. Yeah, I mean, do you trust that they can do that without giving up too much? I, hopefully they're at a point where they're not trading away any big future pieces because I don't think they're going to get back anyone that puts them over the top this year. No, I mean, you mentioned J.D. Martinez coming back. That is one of the good things, that once J.D. does come back, Moya, I don't think, will go back down to the minors. I think he's handled the bat well enough to stick with the team. So you'll get a little bit better on the bench, which is good. You'll have a power bat that can play in the outfield when someone needs a day off. That's a positive. You get a little bit better on the bench. But no, I don't have any faith that Alavila can go ahead and make those moves. I don't have any faith in Alavila right now because none of the We've talked about this. The only move that I seem to endorse is Mike Pelfrey move and the Justin Wilson trade. But at this point... In the Gerald Tautelmachia signing, at this point, there's not really a lot to go on to say that he's actually able to make these moves. Now, I'm really excited to watch Dave Dabrowski blow up the entire prospect structure of the Red Sox, so I don't really know if I want that either. I don't know if Alavila has shown that he's really quite as capable of a GM as we all thought he was. Fun. Fun times. Before we go, I want to mention one thing. You and I talked about this, and I was really hating on Ned Yost last night because he didn't put Cabrera in because I thought, oh, he wanted to wait for his guy to get the MVP. But it turns out from Jeff Passan at Yahoo that Cabrera himself went to Yost and said that he didn't want to be put in until after Hosmer's third at bat because he was worried it would steal the MVP award from Hosmer. So Cabrera himself asked Yost not to put him in until later, which I think just speaks volumes of the type of player and person that, that Mickey is. I think that's a, it was a awesome to see that because in all of the negativity, it is, it is so cool to see just how awesome of a person Miguel Cabrera seems to be. Yeah, that's, uh, that does speak very well of him. Uh, and we'll, ra- we'll wrap on our one positive note for the, for the week. Uh, again, this is the Detroit Sports Show. You can get us on Facebook at the Detroit Sports Show, on Twitter at the Detroit Show. We're now on Tumblr as well as uh, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, various subreddits. So check us out there. Leave us some feedback. You can get Andrew at Drew underscore Tomlinson. I'm at Chris Burke underscore SI. And we will talk to you again next week. 